Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. There is always the possibility that people are ticking time bombs. You see it all the time. People are like, they were the perfect family. They were so happy. It's just so hard to understand how somebody can just snap like that one day and and now they're gone. It's hard to swallow. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick, and I'm sitting far away again from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. But I'm so fucking excited, and I just want to plow through this episode because tomorrow is our release of Killing Time, the full episode. And we were yeah. all together for this for that one, so it'll make up for the fact that you have our our Zoom connection right now. Barring any emergencies, we should always be together for those. So yes. count on that unless there is an act of God, like another pandemic or something like that, that stops us from physical proximity. Do not will that into place. Um, killing time. I mean, we already recorded it. It's fucking hilarious. Jared is currently making some transitional beats that are A+. plus. So I'm so excited for everybody to hear it. It's going to be quite a hoot. Yes. Cannot wait. Can't wait. Buckle up, kids. Yeah. Buckle up. All right. Well, Billy, what day is it today? All right. Well, today is May the 5th, and it's National Nail Day. Like, All right. Like a yeah. fingernail or a like, nail? Like fingernails. Oh, I need yeah. a manicure desperately. I just got one because I had a black fingernail from slamming it in my car door last week. Ooh. Yeah. And they yeah. always shoot our hands. They, they do. Always, that's, a, that's a thing. If you notice on like, Unravel, don't they touch my. Them. It was like a broken <laughs> crypt keeper finger. There's yeah. there's no uh, more daunting thing than thinking about a bad manicure on a television show. Ugh, it's, it's awful. What other days are there, Billy? It's National Hoagie Day. Oh, yes. sandwiches are the bomb, dude! A Philly cheesesteak. I forgot mm. those existed until this moment. <laughs> we got to get you on that, Jack. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you.
So today's case takes us to December 19th of 2017. Songs Perfect by Ed Sheeran and Rockstar by Post Malone were on the radio and movies Star Wars Lost Jedi and Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle were in theaters. As far as the backdrop for today's case, it's the Okanagan region within the province of British Columbia in Canada. And believe it or not, this is actually the first international case we've covered on the first degree. This area is known for its dry and sunny climate, dry landscapes, lakeshore communities, and particular lifestyle. And this lifestyle includes lots of vineyards and wine. Our first degree for today's case is Kimberly. And who better to tell us more about this area than an individual who was born and raised there? It's a small city. I would say there's about 40,000 people here. We're in the Okanagan, so we're surrounded by lakes and mountains and it's actually called the, the California British Columbia. This is one country. Kimberly loves the Okanagan Valley region and calls this place home to this day. But let's rewind back to what she was doing in December of 2017. I was actually on maternity leave from my regular job. And another friend of mine had asked if I was interested in working. They had a daycare program at the gym. And she asked if I was interested in working just a few hours a week in the daycare center. Kimberly accepted the job at the Good Life Fitness Daycare Center, and she ended up really enjoying working there. It was a super chill environment where she would watch the children of members when they were working out at the gym. Staff members at the gym would also take advantage of this daycare center, and that's where Kimberly met a 33-year-old fitness instructor named Clara Foreman, and she taught classes at the gym and had two little girls. Over time, Kimberly and Clara began talking, and they developed a friendship. So that's how I met Clara. She was a fitness instructor, so she would drop her girls off at the daycare with me, and I would watch them while she taught her classes. Clara's daughters were Karina, who was eight years old, and Yesenia, who was seven. I loved watching them. I would bring my kids to the daycare while I worked, and my kids were approximately the same age as them, and they would all play, and they were just the sweetest little things. Kimberly and Clara developed a close work friendship from being in such consistent and close proximity to one another. And on top of liking Clara, Kimberly noted that she was also really passionate about her job. She taught Zumba and like a step class, like a power class, like weightlifting, all group fitness classes. And then I I started taking her classes because she was amazing at it. She loved it. She shared with everyone that she had been on like a weight loss fitness journey her prior and she was successful because of this gym so she became interested in teaching there and she did and got certified to do that so she was just the best person to to help with anyone else's fitness journey or weight loss goals because she had been through that herself and she was just really supportive of everyone. I had invited a friend of mine to do one of her classes and my friend, obviously like her first time, she didn't know the moves and didn't know what she was doing. So she is just like larger than life and just did her own thing. Like everyone's dancing and going to the left and she's going to the right and, you know, doing a jig or twerking or, and At the end, Clara came up to her and was laughing, and she was like, I love you. She's like, the point of being here is to just get your body moving and get in a workout. And she's like, all new people always 
are so self-conscious and trying to do the right thing. And she's like, I just loved watching you that you just started dancing and had so much fun. And she's like, that's why I love my job. The more time Kimberly and Clara spent working together, the more Kimberly learned about Clara's backstory. And it turned out that Clara wasn't from British Columbia. Heck, she wasn't even from Canada. She was originally from Mexicali. Clara was from Mexico, and it was there where she met her future husband, Jacob Foreman. The circumstances of their early courtship can be described as nothing short of a whirlwind romance fairy tale. She grew up in Mexico. She met Jacob. He previously was a pastor, and he had gone on a mission to Mexico, and that's where they met. And he brought her back to Canada. Jacob and Clara had actually met in 2005 at a Christian retreat in Mexico. And at the time, Jacob was working towards becoming a preacher. They had known each other for half a year before they started dating. They were engaged months after that, and three weeks after the engagement, they were married on November 11, 2005. Clara knew that she was in the presence of the love of her life. So when Jacob asked Clara to leave all she knew behind and come start a life with him in Canada... Clara took the plunge and said yes. And the way that Clara met Jacob really sounds like this fairy tale. You know, meeting while he's on a religious mission, they fall in love, and she's whisked off to a foreign land where they begin this amazing life together. And while this really sounds like an impulsive courtship that usually fizzles out, that wasn't the case for them. And by 2017, Jacob was 34 and Clara was 33. And after knowing each other for 12 years, Clara was still making these posts on Facebook that was confessing her love to her husband, referring to him as her quote unquote best friend, the love of her life and the man who understood her best. And on their 10th wedding anniversary, she wrote, 10 years later, you're still the person I want to grow old with. The couple had built a life together. Jacob worked in plumbing and air conditioning, and Clara remained passionate about her fitness career. Their two little girls were homeschooled, and the whole family was extremely engaged in their church community. Over time, Kimberly learned the details of Clara's family and life, and she was super bummed to learn that about a year after meeting, Clara would be moving to a neighboring town and transferring to a different job within their company at a different gym about 30 minutes away. She moved cities, so she moved to Kelowna, which is about 30 minutes away, and she transferred. So she stayed with Good Life Fitness, but transferred to Kelowna. Clara moved. That's the way we live our lives. We're constantly in the orbits of our friends and coworkers, and those orbits are ever-changing. Kimberly just figured she and Clara would keep in touch via text and see each other when both of their busy lives would allow. Despite no longer working together, Kimberly and Clara texted each other often to catch up and try to make plans. Texting these days is a medium we rely on for almost everything, right? For keeping in touch, coordinating logistics, and also for spreading or delivering shocking news, which is what happened when Kimberly received a text message from a friend in late December of 2017. The text was from the friend who also knew Clara through working at the gym and had initially gotten Kimberly the job there. My friend that had offered me the job in the first place texted me and she she sent me the news article and I read it. The headline stated that Clara's husband, Jacob Foreman, had murdered three people. Kimberly's jaw hit the floor. I was like, oh my God, poor Clara. Like, she now has to live with the fact that her husband has killed three people. It's a nightmare. 
Imagine your husband, wife, partner, loved one, committing not one, not two, but three murders. So in learning this horrible news, Kimberly's heart sank. She was horrified. And it's worth mentioning that Kimberly had met Jacob on several occasions when he would pick up Karina and Yessi from daycare. Kimberly continued to text her friend to probe her for more information about what had happened. Her friend's husband had killed three people and she wanted to know the details, you know, who, what, where, when, how, and of course, why. And also, how was Claire coping with all of this? And my girlfriend was like, no, like, you don't understand. Like, she is one of the three people. Clara was one of the individuals who had reportedly been killed by her husband, Jacob Foreman. It was shocking. Just like at the beginning of the podcast, like, this isn't something that happens in real life. Like, you you hear about these things, but you don't think it's going to happen to you or people you know. And especially with people who are, like, upstanding citizens and who are just lovely people in general. And it's just so hard to understand how somebody can just snap like that one day and and now they're gone. It's hard to swallow. And unfortunately... The bad news did not end with the word of Clara's murder at the hand of her husband. More crushing blows followed. And that's because Jacob's other two victims were the couple's two daughters, Karina and Yesenia. What the hell happened? When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on TheRealReal.com. TheRealReal is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 
10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Our first-degree Kimberly learned via text that her friend Clara had been killed by her husband, Jacob Foreman. She also learned that Jacob had killed his own daughters, too. Two little girls Kimberly had grown to love. To say she was shocked, sickened, saddened was an understatement. I don't know if I was in shock or hadn't absorbed the information, but my first reaction was not he killed the three of them. I thought he had killed three people. And it was just unfathomable to me. Unfathomable. Especially because Kimberly had made an effort to reach out to Clara on December 19th, the same day the news of the murders broke. I actually had texted with her the morning of because I was headed to Kelowna to go to a store. And I had let her know that I was in town. Kimberly was horrified. And so was everyone else in the community. What happened? Under what circumstances would or could Jacob have committed such a horrific act? Everyone wanted answers, but unfortunately, everyone would be forced to wait. The media didn't release at first how he did it. And I think that was the hardest part. I don't think that I found out for about two years. And knowing now, it, it's horrible and it's gruesome. Now we're going to share everything that we could find out about this case with you. Please keep in mind that the lives of two little girls were cut short so early and so brutally. It's difficult to listen to, but we're going to do our best to be as considerate as we can in delivering this information. But there really is no easy way to share these details, so this is a warning. It was the morning of December 19th when one of Clara's colleagues from Good Life Fitness called to see where she was. She was scheduled to work and Clara hadn't shown up. She hadn't called to let them know that she wouldn't be coming in either, which is very unlike her. Jacob answered the phone and he apologized on his wife's behalf and told Claire's coworker that she wasn't feeling well. So being sick seems like a reasonable enough reason to not show up for work. So at the gym, word just spread around that Claire was sick and that's why she wasn't there. But then another coworker actually physically stopped by the foreman home, and this friend wanted to offer Jacob help with the two girls since Clara was sick and out of commission, which is honestly such a great friend move. So when this coworker arrived, they knocked on the door over and over, but no one answered. And this is odd because Clara's car was in the driveway and so was Jacob's work truck. From outside, this friend called the house and Jacob answered. Then Jacob's story changed. He wasn't saying that Clara was sick. What he was saying was Clara had left him and taken the girls with her. All right, this is really odd, especially because, again, a friend is looking at this house and they're seeing Clara's car in the driveway. If Clara left Jacob with the girls, wouldn't she have her vehicle with her? So this friend didn't know what to think, but she had a very weird, uncomfortable feeling. This whole thing really freaked her out. But So she ultimately decided she was going to call the police and ask them to do a welfare check to get eyes on Clara and the girls to make sure they're okay. And this call to the police was made at approximately 5 p.m. 
The RCMP dispatched officers to 600 Belotsky Court, and the houses in this rural neighborhood had Christmas decorations up and snow was on the ground. And they pull up to the house. It's a single-story, light blue, wide A-frame design. When the officers arrived at 7 p.m., they observed a freshly shoveled driveway where the two foreman vehicles were parked. Now, the objective for this visit was to confirm that Clara was okay and question her husband about her whereabouts if she wasn't in the home. Like I said, they got there just before 7. Two officers knocked on the door. They waited, and after hearing footsteps approaching, Jacob Foreman pulled the door open. The officers introduced themselves, and they asked Jacob if Clara or his daughters were home and whether they could come in inside and speak with them for a little bit. Jacob was vague with most of his answers, but he was very clear about at least one of them. He was not going to let the officers inside his home. And this was not the response that they would have expected, which is a red flag immediately. So these two officers radioed for additional backup officers to report to the home to help them with the situation. And it's not clear in the reports how or why the officers did eventually make entry into the home, but Jacob did ultimately buckle and allow them to come in at some point. So what happened once the officers entered the home was twofold. Jacob was sat down and questioned by one officer, while others searched the home for Clara and the little girls. And of course, they're also keeping their eyes peeled for anything suspicious. Jacob was questioned by Constable Marshall Slarks, who asked him where Clara was and asked also about the state of the couple's marriage. When discussing he and Clara's marriage, Jacob said, Clara and I have been having some issues in our marriage. She mentioned a few days ago that she was going to leave me and I didn't really believe her. Today, I got a call from her work saying she didn't go in. I came home around two and she wasn't there. Jacob added that he hadn't seen Clara or his girls the night before either, and also that some of their things were missing, further cementing his suspicion that Clara had in fact left him and taken the girls. Now, as Jacob was being questioned, Assistant Corporal Todd Bodwin was moving through the foreman home, conducting the search, and he wasn't able to locate anyone. But there was one thing in the home that caught his attention. He noticed that a piece of carpet was missing from the floor of the couple's master bedroom. And that's certainly weird, but it's not illegal, but it's weird. Room after room was checked, and once all the interior rooms were searched, the only space left to search was the garage. And it's there that they made a sickening discovery. They found a sleeping bag absolutely covered in blood, and inside was Clara's body. It was clear with the naked eye how she had been killed. She had terrible blunt force trauma injuries to her head. At the time the discovery was made, Jacob was still being questioned in a different part of the home. Corporal Todd Bowden interrupted the interview abruptly and looked at Jacob, and he said, Sir, you're under arrest for murder. Jacob was immediately placed in cuffs and under arrest for Clara's murder. They started pressing Jacob for answers about the location of his children. Jacob replied, quote, I don't know. Did you find Clara? What did you find? Please tell me. Within minutes, another officer chillingly advised, that Jacob needed to be arrested on three counts of murder rather than just one, because the officers by that point had located the bodies of Karina and Yesenia. The crime made international news. An aspiring pastor and devout Christian annihilated his family for no known reason. It was a story that people couldn't look away from. But beyond the headlines was a vast network of people who loved this family, and were at a complete loss trying to reconcile the reality of what Jacob had done. 
Clara's fellow instructors and co-workers at Good Life Fitness in Kelowna held vigils and paid tribute best they could. The perimeter of the foreman home had been wrapped in crime scene tape, and friends and community members left flowers and poinsettias, which created a small shrine in honor of Clara, Karina, and Yesenia. Beyond the shock and the sadness, those who knew the family racked their brains for answers, for any red flags that they may have missed. How could Jacob be capable of something like this without anybody realizing it? We asked Kimberly what she thought about Jacob, and was there anything in hindsight that could lend some sort of an explanation for what had happened? I did get a weird vibe from him, but I always hate saying that about people. Sometimes people are just shy, and it's not actually something weird. And just because Clara was so nice and so outgoing, I think I just assumed that, you know, that they were a good couple and they'd been married for so long. And, you know, I thought I was just reading into something, but I, I definitely got, I don't know if it was a creepy vibe, but I did get a weird vibe from him for sure. We've been talking about domestic violence a lot in the recent episodes, how implications of domestic violence are not limited to the confines of romantic relationships themselves. We wondered whether there were any known incidences of violence that had transpired between the couple in the past. I'd never heard anything like that. Even after, I'd never heard of anybody coming forward and saying, oh yeah, like you had told me this, or I noticed this. I know... Another mutual friend I have knew them both as a couple, and I I think her and her husband and Clara and Jacob were friends, so I, I hadn't heard anything. So Kimberly hadn't heard anything about Jacob abusing Clara prior to murdering her, but I'm going to be clear here, that doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. Many people in these situations keep abuse secret for a number of different reasons. So there are questions. What exactly do we know about Jacob Foreman? Who is this guy? So here's something kind of surprising. He had actually no criminal history in British Columbia, which means he abruptly went from never committing a crime to perpetrating three atrocities seemingly out of nowhere. While he wanted to be a pastor, that dream didn't quite come to fruition for whatever reason. He did hold a leadership role at his local church, but full-time Jacob worked for Ace Plumbing and Heating specifically as a residential HVAC supervisor at the company. If you look at Jacob Foreman's social media accounts, he looks like a normal guy, a husband and a doting dad. There are countless photos of his wife and daughters. And here's another thing we know for sure about Jacob Foreman. He's a murderous asshole and a family annihilator. The concept of family annihilation is a phenomenon most people struggle to stomach, let alone understand. But without a doubt, What we're dealing with here is the most extreme manifestation of domestic violence that exists. The police led Jacob to an interrogation room and pressed him for answers. And at first he was tight-lipped. Then he started vaguely answering questions. Eventually, as the police kept pressing, he started to talk. And he painted a picture of the events that began on December 17th, two days before Clara, Karina, and Yesenia were found. It all started that morning when Jacob had returned from a workout. As he and Clara orbited around each other in the home, Jacob said that he sensed tension coming from his wife, so he avoided her. But there's only so long that you can avoid someone you're sharing a house with, and eventually the couple ended up in the master bedroom. They started talking, and an argument erupted. 
The subject of this argument was Jacob's excessive drinking. Apparently, Jacob was an extreme alcoholic, which was not common knowledge among those who knew the Foremans. And Clara wasn't happy about Jacob's continued excessive drinking. Alcoholism causes a slew of problems that can be very aggravating to a partner. But beyond that, she was also probably just worried about her husband's health. But whatever the case, the words exchanged during the conversation apparently angered Jacob immensely. He spotted a small sledgehammer on the floor of the master bedroom closet, walked over, picked it up, and struck his wife in the head with it. And Jacob admitted that after he hit her for the first time, Clara said, what are you doing? And these were the last words that she spoke. He then hit her two more times. This animal, Jacob, murdered Clara with his two young daughters in the very next room. And thankfully, they didn't see what had happened, but they had heard her cries coming from the bedroom, which is awful and sickening. When Jacob emerged, they asked their dad what had happened, and he said that their mom wasn't feeling well. He left Clara in the bedroom before taking his daughters outside to shovel snow. After that, he took the girls to church. How very wholesome of him. People at church asked him where his wife Clara was, and he told all of them that she wasn't feeling well and had to stay home. It's horrific. The only thing I can think of is that he was praying that he could either get away with this or be forgiven for what he did. I don't know if maybe he hadn't initially planned to kill the girls and this was, you know, he snaps and kills Clara and, you know, didn't think through like, okay, now we have two girls. What's the plan here? And maybe just goes to church thinking he can find some sort of answer. After church, Jacob Foreman told the girls to get into their pajamas. Then they watched Netflix. And it was around this time that this utter monster decided that he needed to kill his children, too. And listen to this. Jacob told law enforcement that, quote, he thought it would be better for them to go home to heaven than to grow up in a world where daddy had killed mommy. Unbelievable. He then walked the police through the steps he took to lure his daughters into their rooms one by one with the goal of taking their lives. Jacob told his daughters that they were going to play a game, one that he used to play when he was younger. He first took Yesenia in the room and instructed her to stand on her head, and then he told her to get up real quick and raise her arms, which caused her to pass out. And as she was passed out, he choked her until her heart stopped, using one of those toy horses with a a horse head on a stick to apply more pressure. He then murdered Karina the same way and he hid their bodies in plastic containers. Jacob then told the officers that he loaded a gun and prepared to kill himself. But after, quote, hours of deliberation, he decided otherwise. He went to sleep, and then he went to work the next morning and left his murdered family at home like nothing had ever happened. Well, I guess that's not exactly true. He did move the three of them into the garage. And that's when he put Clara into the sleeping bag. When he was out and about that day, going to work and acting like everything was normal, he also stopped at a store called Canadian Tire to buy cleaning supplies to remove Clara's blood from the floor of the couple's master bedroom. I've heard things about people who worked with him the day after, and now knowing what they know, they're horrified and sickened by the fact that they worked side by side with him, knowing that his wife and two kids are deceased in his home. Like, how how do you get up and go to work the next day? 
Remember, Kimberly knows the details of what happened now, but she didn't at the time. After Jacob Foreman's arrest, none of the specifics were made public. So the community had no idea what had happened. So at that time, all anyone could do was speculate and let their imaginations wander, which is awful. We were all just very in the dark. For those two years, I had all sorts of scenarios running through my head. I'm like, did he kill the girls and Clara was trying to protect them? Or, you know, were they running through the house with their dad chasing them? Like, what... Like, how were they impacted? How were they feeling right before it happened? And that that really bothered me. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Jacob remained in custody for approximately two years prior to his trial. At first, he was facing three counts of second-degree murder, but later the murder charges he was facing for Karina and Yesenia were upgraded to first-degree murder charges, since based on Jacob's own admission, there was a planning process that had gone into these murders. Since Jacob had made his initial confession to the police, his defense had tried to have the admissions excluded as evidence by using some legal maneuvering. But their efforts were pointless, because through the duration that Jacob had been behind bars, he had been writing letters, talking on the phone, and making small confessions and admissions to anyone who would listen, pretty much. So they had tons of his own words to use against him in an evidentiary capacity. Jacob's murder trial began in the fall of 2019. And heads up to our listeners in Canada, please be gentle if I get this part of Canadian law wrong. But on the first day of Jacob's trial, he pleaded not guilty. He believed that his self-described acute alcoholism was a valid defense. So he got up in front of the court at the start of the trial and he said, I'm responsible, there's a quote, I'm responsible, but I'm not guilty of what the Crown is saying. And he apparently was going for what's known as an NCR defense, which is not criminally responsible. And this is an actual verdict in Canada. It means that the defendant was the reason why the crime happened, but due to a mental illness, a mental incapacity, they're not responsible. All right. So what do we think about that? And what do we think about this motive he's claiming to have had? I mean, this whole alcoholism thing, he also said in an interview that he wasn't drunk. Right. So it was like a big a argument withdrawal, with withdrawal, right? Or something like that. Yes. And listen, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I know withdrawal can be painful and uncomfortable, but does it make you a murderous family yeah. annihilator? I know, like go through some kind of a psychosis. That's, it's so strange. I mean, 
this story is very similar to obviously like the Chris Watts story, for example. But Mm -hmm. I mean, Chris Watts had an absolute, very clear motive. Yeah. To why he did what he did. So, but this story, like it really, it's like we're missing something almost. Like what are we missing with the motive and the, the how and the why? It's just like we're not getting a piece of the story, it feels like. Right. And so this is a Canadian story and I don't have access to the same research I would here necessarily. But in the reports, I I mean, neighbors said we'd never seen a cop car here. We've never seen an ambulance here. There's we've never heard yelling coming from the home. There's it's really hard to know what happened or why someone would do this. People throw around around this word snapped, right? They snapped. But Mm -hmm. under what pressure? I I mean, I think I think when pe- we, we say people snap, it's like it's when they're pushed too far, but it doesn't sound like he was pushed by anything. But yeah, and, and there's not any, I mean, other than him saying that they had marital issues, it didn't seem that there was any huge marital issues, right? And there was no secret affair happening. And there was, it didn't seem like there was any of these glaring huge problems that you see in other cases where people do quote unquote snap. No, with the, with the, this, the whole secret life thing, like you saw with Chris Watts, and they were noticing it too. Wow, you look really good. I mean, the cops saw that, like, they yeah. saw the pictures in the house and they saw him. He's like, You've been working out a lot. Yeah. You know, they knew right away. Right. And, but with this guy, he's trying to say that, that, you know, an argument about him drinking too much uh, is what drove him there. And it's because he had, he was under withdrawal. He's completely grasping at straws because he couldn't, he couldn't blame anything else. So the only mental capacity, he was going for this, this NCR and the ult- only thing that was, could have been in, inhibiting him, his mental capacity was this withdrawal. That's all he was thinking about. Well, and also the concept of him snapping it, this is another parallel to the Chris Watts thing where they killed their wives and then they waited for a while to kill their mm-hmm. kids. Like with Chris, he ended up taking them out, driving them for hours. And then with him, he, you know, they're watching Netflix and hanging out and going to church and all this shit. So it's like, that's also not s- snap. Like you didn't no. just snap and do this. You had so much time, hours thinking about killing somebody else, your children. And then you, you went through with it. It's fucking insane to me. Well, what's even crazier is that he went to literally a place of reflection. He took the girls to church. And I do think it's interesting to look at that and be like, okay, was this a final goodbye with your girls? Were you going to kill yourself? Because he he mentioned he was waffling with that a bit. Right. And it's like he it's like he almost did the right thing. It's like, oh, well, I'm, maybe he was soul searching like, I got to go turn myself in. It's like, he didn't decide, admittedly, to do it until he got home from right. church. And it's like, was there something on Netflix? Like this whole idea of, I don't want my daughters to grow up in a world where their daddy killed their mommy. Like, where did you get that? Where did you think that you were more important than them? How Thank about God. You, right? It, exactly. And there's something there because this wanting to be a preacher, like we always see this with, with culty leader types or, you know, aspiring preacher types. No, I'm not knocking religion. I'm just saying you have to have a desire to hear yourself talk. There is a confidence and a narcissism that comes with <laughs> wanting to be front and center and, and guiding a flock, I think, even if it's altruistic. Yeah. And I just think it's ironic that that was his like goal. And then he ultimately ends up playing God for real. Right. Yeah. And I want to know what his what was going through his mind because he he had planned, he made plans 
specifically, they're watching Netflix. He's probably thinking, what am I going to do? He comes up with this idea of having them pass out, like that's going to make it better so he can strangle them. Ugh. But what was his plan during when the cops were there? And then he just lets the cops in. Uh, you know, uh, and it seems like his plan was, oh my God, I haven't seen them. And it turns out that they're dead in the, in the garage. Like that's all he, that's all that he sort of, you know, there was nothing. You didn't think beyond that. He didn't think beyond any of this stuff. So fucking crazy. I definitely think it's a cop out. I would struggle to find many cases where people in alcohol withdrawal have murdered their families I certainly can't think of any. And I'd be interested to know as well if he was seeking help for this alcoholism. I didn't hear a lot of rumors about what people thought. Like nobody that I knew knew about the alcoholism and never heard anything about infidelity. I, all I heard was just that he snapped because he killed them and then he went to work. And like maybe, you know, never really snapped out of it because he invited the police into his home. Whether there's any validity to Jacob's defense or not, the trial commenced. The prosecution poured over the details of the crime scene as well as the admissions made by Jacob himself. They noted the sickening justification Jacob provided when asked for the reason why he murdered his family. Remember what he said that he thought it would be better for them to go home to heaven than to grow up in a world where daddy killed mommy. The prosecutor said in media interviews that Jacob's explanation could only be described as narcissistic and selfish to a degree which defies comprehension. Jacob's defense essentially hinged on this alleged case of alcoholism. His lawyer said that Jacob Foreman killed his family as he was going through an extreme case of alcohol withdrawal. And outside the courthouse, Foreman's attorney told reporters that his client was a functioning alcoholic at the time that he killed his wife and daughters in the family's Rutland home in late December of 2017. Before the crimes were committed, Foreman allegedly had suddenly stopped drinking alcohol and was going through these severe alcohol withdrawal symptoms. But only three days into the trial, something strange happened. Even though Foreman had been locked up for two years, which is a lot of time to understand the charges you're facing and to prepare defense, Foreman said he was apparently confused and believed right up until the trial that he would be able to have a mental state defense due to that acute alcohol withdrawal and alcoholism and the alcohol withdrawal symptoms that he was suffering from. So why did he change his mind? Well, the defense actually hired an expert for the trial. And the expert took a look at the facts and came back to Foreman and said, yeah, that defense is not going to work in this case. So this is when, you know, Jacob realizes the error of his ways and he decides to plead guilty and admits the first degree murder of his two young children and the second degree murder of his wife, Clara. Jacob Foreman cried as the charges were read and he pleaded guilty to all three. Following his guilty plea, an allocution was to take place. And it's during this phase that those who knew and loved Clara and the girls learned all of the sickening details of what had happened for the first time. The judge also described various aspects of the murders as Jacob Foreman, who was dressed in red, sat in the prisoner's box and cried. Who knows whether or not these tears were sincere. More cries came from other areas inside the courtroom. They were from loved ones of Clara, Karina, and Yesenia's, many of whom were wearing Justice for Clara t-shirts. 
and as awful and sickening as the details of these crimes were to hear, it was a relief for those who loved them to have some answer so they could stop spinning the wheels of their imaginations thinking even worst-case scenarios. Thank God the girls didn't witness their mom being murdered, or vice versa. You know, she wasn't killed trying to protect her girls from their father. And those were the types of things I was thinking. So as horrible as it is, I'm I'm glad that it was separated and that wasn't the case. And what about Jacob Foreman's defense? You know, this notion that his alcoholism was to blame for everything that he did. I had never heard anything about alcohol prior to this. She didn't share a lot about her home life at work either. But it, uh, I don't know. I think I still like am processing just how that happens and how someone can make that decision and and just not be remorseful even to this day. The sledgehammer was what really got me. It just seems like of all, if this is a decision that you've made, it just seems so crazy to me that you're like this is the tool I'm going to use. This is the best thing I can think of. That just seems so messy and brutal to me for somebody that you've been married to for over a decade. So the last order of business for Jacob Foreman was sentencing. The main argument between the prosecution and defense in terms of sentencing was whether Foreman would get consecutive or concurrent parole ineligibility periods. The defense was asking for parole eligibility in 25 years, claiming that Foreman's alcohol problem and withdrawal he was experiencing at the time of the killings was a mitigating factor. They also argued that Foreman shouldn't be viewed as other Canadian multiple murderers like Clifford Olson, who killed 11 people, most of them were children, in the early 80s, or Bruce MacArthur, who was a serial killer who preyed on gay men in Toronto and was finally arrested in 2018. The Multiple Murders Act became part of the Criminal Code in 2011. And this act is legislation, which put an end to sentence discounts for multiple murderers, meaning that from the passing of the act forward, multiple murderers were made to serve their parole and eligibility periods one after another. Supporters of the new legislation wanted the sentencing process to be able to acknowledge the value of each life taken. Despite the defense's best efforts, the court justice ruled otherwise. The Crown felt that Foreman not only had several hours to think about killing his daughters after murdering his wife, but he also lured his daughters to their bedroom under the pretext that they were going to play a game. The cruelty in that aspect alone is enough to rattle anyone, but also showed clear planning and intent. Jacob Foreman was sentenced to life in prison without the chance for parole for 35 years. The charges automatically carried concurrent life sentences, but Foreman's two periods of parole ineligibility will run consecutively, meaning the 36-year-old foreman won't get a chance at freedom until he's nearly 70 years old. And it was the first time a British Columbia judge had issued the back-to-back sentences of parole ineligibility. I don't think that there's any sentence that makes up for or can rehabilitate somebody for what he's done. But I think as far as Canadian law goes, he probably got the harshest sentence that he was going to. So I think that's all we can really ask for. And unfortunately, you know, 35 years, he was, I think, around 35 or so when he went to jail. So, you know, there's always that possibility that he's not going to die in prison. So let's get back to the why of this case. 
Why did Jacob Foreman do this? He blamed his alcoholism, but I think the general consensus is that we're not buying it. So if there are no warnings to be seen, how do we try to anticipate the moves or stop monsters like Jacob Foreman? I don't think that you can reconcile that in your head. I I do think that there is always the possibility that people are ticking time bombs. I mean, I listen to so many podcasts and you see it all the time. People are like, they were the perfect family. They were so happy. And, you know, with mental illness, I think that sometimes it can just sneak up on you. And if you're triggered or you snap, I do also think that there is a lot of stigma still around mental illness. And even though we do have the ability to seek help, I don't think that people are always comfortable doing so. I think the biggest tragedy is whether or not this was a mental break or alcoholism. I think it's preventable. I think it's treatable. And unfortunately, three very young people are now not in this world. They had their whole lives ahead of them. And Clara was young too. And this this is not something that he had to involve them in. All right. Well, a huge thank you to Kimberly for being with us today. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us. Hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Uh, go join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time and don't stick around, but tune back tomorrow because we're going to kill a shit ton of time. All the time. All the time. And remember only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not that close. close. Just, it just hurts. Happy nail day. Happy hokey day. Ha- Ooh, get a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. Shout out to Jared Monaco for creating original music for The First Degree. Our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for today's episode are courtesy of Castanet. Kalana Now, Kalana Capital News, the CBC, and as always, our first three guests is always our largest source. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.